Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Weird Because Normal Isn't Working series. This series looks at how God calls us to be set apart from the world's norms and how maybe as Christians we are called to shake things up. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you here. At this time, we're going to release our children ages four through grade eight to go to their classes in the the, uh, children's ministry wing. So look, we're excited you're here. If you're a guest uh, here today, we encourage you to stay afterwards, not just for the normal coffee fellowship. We're going to have a meal today, so you're all invited, whether you brought something or not. We'll just trust God to provide for, for that. We are in the middle of this series, actually at the end of this series, last Sunday, called Weird Because Normal Isn't Working. And we've been looking at the truth that the culture that we live in says that we're supposed to live one way, but Scripture, God's Word, says we're supposed to live another way. The fact of the matter is God's Word and what Jesus taught is countercultural. It challenges what we think we're supposed to do according to the way the world says we should go, uh, according to the way our friends say we should go, according to the way our employers or employees say we should go, according to the way our, our, our bosses say we should go. It, it's, the reality is that Scripture tells us that we're supposed to live a way that honors God. And that's not always in line with what our culture says. So today we're going to be looking at this, uh, this idea, a weird view of money. So in preparation for that, let's bow our heads. Father, as we come here today, we are grateful for all your love for us. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you have called us to you and that you have given us a way to spend with you while we're on this earth, but also for eternity. You are an amazing provider, an amazing giver. So we thank you for your generosity, for your love and your grace poured out over us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's two views of of money. There's the world's way and then there's God's way. So today we're going to be looking at a biblical worldview of money. And as we do so, we're going to look predominantly at what comes from the mouth of Jesus. So just to to level set things, the world's view of money is that it's the most important thing in life, that uh, you need to get as much as you can, that you never have enough, and that money brings security, that money brings happiness. Brad Hewitt, an author who wrote, Your New Money Mindset, Create a Healthy Relationship with Money, says this, Any financial system or currency boils down to the value and the individual, the value, the individual, and the culture ascribed to it. Any financial system or currency boils down to the value, the individual, and the culture ascribed to it. So today... We're going to look at a biblical worldview of money, uh, the way that a biblical worldview ascribes value to money and what it means. And as I said, most of the verses that we're going to look at come from the mouth of Jesus. So uh, Jesus had uh, some very important things to say about this crucial topic. In fact, it's impossible to miss in Scripture how often Jesus talks about our human unhealthy relationship with money and how easily we make money an idol, an idol that usurps the place of more important things. 
So Jesus desires to lead us to life, and that's part of what this is about. So here's what we're going to start with. This first point, Jesus said this, money is not your treasure. Money is not your treasure. Now, the world says money is your treasure, but Jesus says it's not. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is getting at a core issue for every single one of us. Where's your heart? Where is your heart? Where is what you put the most value on in your life? He says, if, if you worship anything else, if you put your heart with anything else other than God, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. John Thornton has written a book. I love the title of it. Jesus' Terrible Financial Advice. Flipping the Tables on Peace, Prosperity, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And in this, Thornton writes, Jesus clearly sets apart two competing masters. On the one hand, you have the true and living God. On the other hand, you have money. Money characterized as a master. Sometimes our love for God compels us to follow God, to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. And other times our fear is that God is a righteous judge and that compels us to follow him. It shouldn't surprise us then that the false master money imitates the true master. God by appealing to the same motivation. That is money wants you to love it or fear it. Either one will do. Both will be better. In only a few words, though, Jesus cuts down all the motivators money has at its disposal. As a fake God, money's only power is imitation. It falsely promises to give you the world, to give you security. Even though the world isn't the idols to give, even though security isn't money's to give, the gifts money gives are an illusion. Simply put, they're not real. You know, in this scripture that Jesus is talking about, he says, listen, don't store up your, your treasures on earth. You know, he, he's talking about uh, where moths and vermin can destroy them. Some of people's treasure in first century was, was in, involved in, in uh, clothing and things like that. He says, listen, don't store that up. Vermin, moths will take it. He also said, don't store your, your tr treasure up in, in money or, or things of value because thieves can break in and steal. He says, put your treasure where it is of ultimate importance and security in heaven. And then he says, you know, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate, and hate the other, or you'll hate one and love the other. He said, you can't serve God and money. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What is our God? What is our God? So Jesus said, Money is not your treasure. That's the first thing he says. The second thing is this. He says, money is your temptation. Money is your temptation. What's he getting at here? If you remember when Jesus began his public ministry, 
He went out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasted and he prayed. And, and during that time, Satan came and tempted him three times. And every time he was tempted, he responded with scripture and he would not fall prey to the temptation. It's so one of the amazing things about Jesus. He was fully God and fully human. So in his humanness, he was tempted to sin, but he did not sin. The last temptation that Jesus was given by Satan was one where Satan promised to give him all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus responded with this. He said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He said, listen, Satan, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to fall pray to that temptation. I'm going to worship God and I'm going to serve God only. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, echoed the words of Jesus about temptation and worldly wealth. This is what he says in 1 Timothy. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grieves. You know, Paul's getting at this fact that, that the temptation of money is that it's going to promise you something that it can't fulfill. And he says people have, have ruined their lives chasing after money. And then he says that powerful statement, for the love of money is the root of many kinds of evil. And that last phrase is powerful. He says, many people have wandered from the faith, wandered from the things that are really of eternal value because they've been tempted to chase after money. Like Jesus, Paul understood this. He saw the temptation of money. It can tempt you to wander from things of utmost eternal value and go after things that are fleeting, temporary, I think we all had that experience where there was something in life that we really wanted to buy at some point. And, and, and when we finally bought it, it didn't seem as special anymore. The value, the, the way we felt about it, it was gone. It, it just didn't, it didn't seem to matter anymore. We see the fleeting nature of money that can tempt us to go after it. So as a follower of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves this question. In what or in whom do I trust? In what or in whom do I trust? Here's the third thing that Jesus said about money. He said, money is your test. It's your test. You never thought about it that way, have you? How many of you remember in those training days when you got your license. You remember those days? I, I don't have a recollection of going on that, uh, those trips with mom or dad in the, I think it was mom, in the passenger seat. I don't remember it, but I do remember it when I did that with my own kids. And, and I think, uh, you know, I needed a, a break in the passenger side uh, to uh, control my urges uh, during that time. But, but I remember this. When they made, when my kids made their first solo drive, 
they didn't know it, but you know, we were standing in the house looking out the window and going, what have we gotten ourselves into? And they backed out of the driveway and, and uh, you know, we, we'd asked when they were going to be home, not because it was a curfew issue, but because we wanted to see if they passed the test uh, of going wherever they were going and coming back with themselves in the car in one piece. And it was a test. They didn't know it. And you don't realize that it was a test when you're going through it until you have your own kids and they go through that process. But it was a test. The same thing is with money. We don't realize it, but money is a test. God uses money to test us. Scripture points that out. Jesus points that out. Listen to these words from Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever was dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I think we can all resonate with that last one, particularly if we've loaned something to somebody, we've let them borrow our property, and if they haven't proved trustworthy with that property, we're less likely to loan it to them again. But here's this idea that God has given you what you have, whether it's a little bit or a lot. That's not the issue. God has given you what you have to prove that you are trustworthy with it. It's a test to prove that you will use it in a faithful way. We need to recognize that that's so important to us. And, and let me... Let me go into this a little deeper about what God wants to test us, not only with our trustworthiness, but he wants to test us in how we will use it. In other words, how we'll train our money. You ever thought about training your money? In other words, that you get to tell the money how you're going to use it instead of being a victim to what happens with money when you use it mindlessly. We actually get to be in control of it. We're responsible to use it the way that we want to use it in a way that proves our trustworthiness. We get to be in charge of it. So here's the first thing that I would say to you about that. It's a test to you to budget it, to, to budget it. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes as he says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. So, so the Apostle Paul was teaching the early followers of Jesus to budget their money, to set some aside. He was asking them to set it aside for the collection that he was going to take. He was telling them to, to set it aside in keeping with your income. What he's getting at here is this whole idea of, of percentage, percentage giving. He's saying set it aside. So God gives us income. Truly, God, it comes from God. You're blessed to be able to do whatever you do to make income because God has blessed you and you're supposed to budget it. It's a Money's a test to budget. But here's the second test of it. It's a test to balance it, to balance how you use it. In the book of Proverbs, we have these two very instructional scriptures about how we handle money. The first one is this. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever he or she gets. Uh, we all know that. Uh, the wise person saves. 
the foolish person spins. We need to recognize that. The second scripture is even more convicting. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You know, there's not a problem with borrowing if you can do it appropriately. And all wise financial managers will tell you that you should, there are certain things you should borrow money for and there are other things you shouldn't borrow from. But, But here's the truth. Whenever you borrow money, you're a slave to the lender. You owe what you borrowed back and you owe it with interest. And so we need to recognize that if money is a test, we need to balance how we save and how we spend, how we borrow and how we wait and save up for what we want. It's a challenge to us. It's a test to see if we will be faithful. Here's the third way that it's a test. It's a test on how we'll bestow it. How we'll bestow it. In other words, how how we'll give it. Particularly give it to God. It's a test in how you will trust God by giving it to God. In Deuteronomy, we read this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. Now, we encourage people to tithe here. We, we challenge them to step up at the tithe. Tithe is the idea of giving the first tenth of your income to God. It's come straight out of Scripture. It's something that Jesus affirmed. And it's something that we recognize is that what God tells us to do is to give him the first tenth of what we receive. Now, now think this one through. In an agrarian economy, in an agrarian society, when, this, when God created this idea of the tenth, particularly where people were raising herds of sheep or, or herds of cattle, God instructed them to give the firstborn, the one that was best without blemish or defect that was completely healthy. Now, now if you raise animals for a living, and you're told to give the first, the best, to God. That takes a great deal of faith because what if all of the other calves or what if all of the other kids are, are sickly or, or, or die at a young age or are just never healthy or, or are just never grow to a size where they become a, a sustainable source of food for your family? It took a great deal of faith. And the same for those who raise crops. Give the first, the first fruits of your labor. What if the rest of the crop was bad? Or what if, what if something got into it? But it's this idea that you give God, you bestow God, you give him the best. In the book of Malachi, God speaks to his people and he says, listen, when it comes to the tithe, test me. Go ahead and give it and test me and see if I won't pour out blessings for you. The blessings I'm not talking about are material blessings, but blessings that you'll understand that in your faithfulness to God, you've proven faithful. Now, think about this. Uh, You can't wait to give to God when you think you're ready. Because if you wait to when you think you're ready, you'll never be ready. You can't wait until you're ready. You can't say, I'll give when I get my finances in order. Scripture tells us to give to God first. 
and trust him with the rest. Yes, you need to make a plan like we're talking about here. Yes, you need to, to take control of your money. Yes, but you need to give God, give to God first and trust him with everything else. My own personal experience is when, when I understood what I was called to do to tithe, I made that the first check back when I wrote checks. I made it was the first check that, that I gave. And the blessing came that not only was I able to pay my bills, but I was still able to do some of the other things that I wanted to in life. You know, when I, we were raising our kids, we, we got them a, a bank with three different sections in it. And we said, you know, when you get money, the first tenth of what you get, put it in the, the God side of the bank. And they did that. And said, so now the, the second, the center section is for uh, your savings. And you need to set aside 10%. Like you gave God 10%. Now you need to save 10% for you for what's gonna, what you may need in the future. And then the other section was for the other 80%. You can live off that. And we've seen that bear fruit in their lives as they've understood how to manage God's how to manage money God's way. So for followers of Jesus, we're going to have to answer this question. Am I taking the test of managing worldly wealth seriously? Am I taking it seriously? Am I looking at this according to God's way and will? Here's the third thing Jesus said about money. He says, money is a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool for us to use. Back in the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, there's, there's this actually somewhat confusing story where he tells a story about uh, someone who hires a manager to look after all of his things, and he discovers that his manager is unjust, and he uh, tells his manager to get ready. He's going to fire him. And before he leaves the job and is fired... He goes to all the creditors of his boss and he reduces their debt. And at the end of the story, uh, the manager actually commends this unjust employee, this, this employee who hasn't done well for him by saying, you know, I, I appreciate your shrewdness, not what you did but I appreciate your shrewdness. Now, scholars will tell you that more than likely, part of what was happening here was the, the exorbitant amount of interest was being charged. That was actually was being reduced. So it wasn't that he was taking away from what the man was actually selling. But, but here's where it, where it challenges some people because Jesus tells this parable and this is how he concludes the parable. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What's Jesus talking about? Is he saying be unjust? Is he saying lie about things? He's not. He's talking about how we can learn from the shrewdness of other people, that we need to recognize that what we, how we use money is important. It's a tool to be used in godly ways. He's not commending dishonesty, but he's challenging his hearers to be shrewd with how they handle worldly wealth. One scholar has said this, Jesus was telling his, his hearers to prepare themselves for the coming judgment by acting shrewdly. How that shrewdness is to be manifested is, of course, quite different. It is not through dishonesty, but in the wise stewardship of possessions. 
If the hearer knew that a day was coming in which he or she had to render an account to, the, to their Lord, then they would be faithful stewards of their possessions. Then they would be acting shrewdly and they would receive a commendation from their master. So there's this whole idea that God gives us worldly wealth to use as a tool and use it wisely and shrewdly in God-honoring ways. Here's the next thing that we understand as a tool. We use it generously. That's right. We need to be generous. Jesus said these words. Paul records them in the book of Acts. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, some of our women are in a Bible study that's uh, being taught by Kelly Minter, and Kelly Minter's written a book, and she said this, you probably have heard people say things like this, man, I wish I was independently wealthy so I could give money away to people in need. She says, you know what? That statement assumes three things that I don't think are true. First, it assumes if we were independently wealthy, we'd automatically give tons of money away. Second, it assumes that we need to be financially set before we can give as freely as we want to. And third, it assumes that the greater amount of money we give, the more pleased God is with our giving. We don't have to be independently wealthy to be generous. We don't have to, to uh, uh, give freely and wait till we're set to give freely. And God isn't impressed with how much we give. He's impressed by if we give generously with a gracious heart. Here's the second thing that we need to understand if we're going to use money as a tool. First, be generous. Second, be kingdom-minded. You know, worldly wealth is a tool to use for God's kingdom, for advancing the kingdom, for bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us, uh, he talks about how we need to recognize what's really important in life and what we need to worry about and what we don't need to worry about. So in chapter 6 of Matthew, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will God not much more clothe you? You of little faith, Jesus continues. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And, and here's the final verse. And you just got to hang on this. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We need to trust that God will provide for us. We need to trust that he has given us worldly wealth, whatever it is and that it's to be used 
for eternal purposes. It's a tool. So as followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, am I using the worldly wealth that God has given me to build God's kingdom? Am I? So I want to end with, with three challenges. And these are the next steps. They're in your bulletin. But here, here's the first one. Decide to worship God and God only and not money. Here's the second one. Decide to manage your money according to Jesus' teaching. And here's the third one. Decide to put God to the test on the tithe. He said, test me and see. Test me and see. See if I won't pour out blessings from heaven on you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, for your generosity to us, for the fact that you are our provider. We thank you for what you blessed us with. Lord, we want to be good and faithful stewards. So Lord, help us take steps of faithfulness as we recognize that you have blessed us. Help us follow your word with regards to worldly wealth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.